everyone. Welcome to the Age Group to Pro Triathlon Podcast. My name is Kaylee and I'm the pro. And I'm Brian, the age grouper. Our goal is to help people go from confused to confident in their first few triathlons. So let's get into today's episode. So what do we have going on today? I thought that a good agenda for today's podcast, we'll talk about a race recap that I had from this weekend. So some age group racing. And then we'll cover some unique tips that we've discovered through our training in triathlon. And then to wrap up, we're going to go a little bit into some dog fighting techniques. That's right. That sounds terrible. (laughs) Not, not Michael Vick dog fighting, like how to fend off dogs while you're cycling. Because they keep coming up on us constantly. That's right. It's just a podcast where I'd show you, but I'm pretty scraped up. To dive into the race recap, about a day before, less than 24 hours to my race Saturday, in the last quarter mile of my bike ride, a dog took me out. Literally pulling into our our development. So it seemed like a passive, aggressive dog. And I did slow down and hit the brakes. But as I got really close to him, he lunged at me in front of my front wheel And I went over the handlebars and fell on my elbow and knee. Yeah, I mean, he came up back to the house and just like bloodied up everywhere. And I just, we've seen this dog before. Like we know he exists outside of our neighborhood. But for me, I've only ever encountered him with running. And I usually am far enough away that he doesn't get to me. But yeah, this was the first time. and, And honestly, I've ridden by there several times. So yeah. I feel like even when you know there's a house with a dog, you still sometimes this happens, at least around here. Yeah. So while on the topic of dogs, you know, I think there were probably a few things I could have done better. One would be once I saw the dog to completely stop and decide not to approach it on the bike to turn around and go another way if that's possible. But a lot of times you don't have time for that if you're at full speed or going pretty full speed. Yeah. And even if you're going slow, I mean, luckily this dog wasn't charging at you as you were there because we've had plenty of dogs that I think if you, you wouldn't have had time to turn around because they would be coming at you. Even though I know people have said, cause we've, we have looked into all, all the different techniques to being able to handle dogs on bikes because we have this encounter so frequently And one of them is you get off and basically use your bike in between you and the dog. Hmm. But I honest, I've never had the opportunity to try that one because we're usually going fast or the dog is coming at you so fast. Yeah, that would have been smart in my situation. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. If if there's this with like you said, the dog wasn't coming at you necessarily until you got really close. They say if you get off and just keep the bike. Almost like a, you know... A barrier. Yeah, a barrier between you and the dog. Yeah, in your experience, you were racing your second 70.3, right? Yeah, that was my second one. We were in Tennessee in an unfamiliar course, and you were one of the first age groupers out of the water. And because of that, you got to a certain part on the bike course where I think a pack of three dogs took you out, right? Yeah, that one was... It was because there was one guy who had passed me, so he had kind of the lead vehicle with him. So it was 
him starting out the course. And then it was just me by myself. And I came around a corner and there was three dogs. And at this point, I, the only techniques I had known was the whole squirting your water bottle at them. So I like quickly tried to slow down and grab my water bottle. But I mean, when you're in a race, like you're not really thinking about dogs. I don't know, like you're in a whole nother mindset of just like the burn. So I wasn't really prepared for it. And I grabbed my water bottle and started kind of spraying them. But there was one that was like right at my hip. Like it was, it was right there on me. And so that was the one I was kind of paying attention to the most because I was most afraid of that one biting. And then just completely missed the third one come up and just like get up under my wheel and pretty much just made me flip over. So yeah, that one, I I don't know what I really could have done better. Yeah. It's just seeing them in advance, getting down to little to no speed. And, you know, I would say also unclipping properly because if you're not ready to get your feet out of the pedals, then you don't have a way to stop and get off. So just being in the right headspace in advance to to prepare for it coming. But it's not like, yeah, like you said, you couldn't have necessarily done anything. You went on to get back on your bike, fix your bike and win for both men and women that day, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it, it definitely turned into a, a it was fun bittersweet. story. It was it was a fun story to have, but it was not fun in the moment. And no, and we'll, we'll never race that course again. No, and it has like scarred me. Literally. Because I, <laughs> yeah, there's literal scars and mental scars to where I, since then, have very, very reluctantly tried new areas because I'm just... Every single time I get far away from like the roads that I know and the dogs I know... I'm afraid, like I'm looking at every single house waiting for a dog to run out at me. And it's just not a fun way to, to go out for a ride. So yeah, know your community, know your routes and where the potential dogs are, but you know, maybe not all areas are like this, but certainly in the the Southern States, like Tennessee, Georgia, we've, we've seen a lot of dogs when we're out biking. Yeah. Maybe even the Carolinas. I mean, I just, yeah, they people don't typically have their dogs in fences or on leashes or and also we have issues with them just letting them out to like go to the bathroom at random periods of time. So you may go by an area and you don't see any dogs, but then you go by a second time and they just happen to be out. But yeah, so I like the shield trick that you covered. Yeah, I think just being in the proper headspace to slow down and dismount versus trying to go past it really quickly is probably safer. Yeah. It's de- I would assume taken it's probably best to slow down because I mean, you were still going slow, but I mean, you don't want to be going 25 miles an hour and fall through your bike. Well, and we were, we watched the tour de France and on there, they said the slow falls are the worst falls. Yeah. That's when people break their collarbones. Yeah. Because I think for them though, often they're not expecting it. Like they're kind of, well, it's just the the way you fall is much you you land on your shoulder versus yeah. sliding out and being oh, able yeah, to, to glide. Yeah. So it's 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 actually a rougher fall when you're not moving at all and then you fall. So any other tips in terms I the water bottle trick works. I think noise works if the dog's on the edge and you're in a group. Our group ride will bark at it and yell and scream at it to try and scare it off. So lots of noise can oftentimes intimidate it so that it won't actually lunge or attack. 
Yeah, I've definitely. I've seen the noise one. I'm just when I get approached by a dog, it's not my first thing. I know I should do it, but it's just not my first go to. For me, it's definitely the water bottle and the water bottle has worked. I mean, there's definitely been times where, I mean, if nothing else, it gives me like a split second while they're like closing their eyes because the water's in their face to kind of get away from them. Um, so that one has been a pretty good one that we learned early on. I think if you know the dog and it's kind of finicky versus totally aggressive, the water bottle one's good. But if you're a more novice rider and you're holding the water bottle and get taken out, you'll probably have even less control of your bike. Yeah, you definitely have to be careful while while you're <laughs> aiming your bottle and holding on and trying to also not have them get under your bike. Because another thing we have found is they typically will go for your wheels. Um, we have had some dogs come for us, but a lot of times they're going for that wheel and that's the, that's where they'll get you. They'll, or they see your feet spinning and yeah. they try and go for a foot. Yeah. The small dogs, the small dogs always go for the feet. Um, but yeah, and I think they also have dog spray. It's kind of like bear spray, but for dogs and it, I'm not sure though, the like, because we've heard obviously the using like, uh, may spray but the thing is is if you're spraying that while you're on a bike i feel like there's a great chance it's going to get in your own eyes and that's not going to be good so i think they have less strong spray that you can use for dogs but yeah. we haven't used that so the we mace, can't right the mace will blind you and the dog and then your ride's over, you're going to have a miserable rest of your day. So I don't know that I'd recommend that. Yeah. And the dog spray, I, I think it's less. I think it's more of a smell base. Um, I think it may even be citronella. I could be completely off on this, but I know I have looked at it in it before. But I think it's a smell base versus um, like pain. Yeah, like I don't know. But let us know if you've had any dog experiences in the comments section on YouTube or let us know on Instagram. Yeah, or anything that has worked for you. To yeah, we'll get them out there. So with less than 24 hours, I wasn't in – my focus was to keep my nerves calm because I would say from a build perspective, this was the best physical shape I've ever been in, swim, bike, run combined. Yeah, you were but, really confident going into it. And right, but that happened and – even energetically, I could feel just went way down. You have the adrenaline spike and I tried to stay calm and in a good headspace. But I think just between the bleeding and I saw in a in a recap video that, you know, you guys took during the race, I was limping out of the swim. So I was definitely babying that knee a little. And yeah. I also have dual power pedals and my power was favored on my right leg by about four to five percent for the entire bike leg for the race. So I think that it took me out a little physically and also a bit mentally. Yeah, I, tried to I could just... see the the mental shift between, I mean, literally moments before going out for the bike ride versus afterwards. I think that for me as playing the support role, I was just trying my best to not overly say like, oh, woe is you. I don't know if that was a good thing or not, but I... Try yeah. to just keep you confident and positive and trying to just be like, yep, it hurts. It sucks. But, 
you know, it's not always perfect leading into races, but I don't know. Is that a, a good way to approach it or would you rather? Yeah, I think it's total, totally dependent on the fall and how your body handles it too. Because mentally, I think I gave what I had on the day. It just wasn't as much as I was hoping. Yeah. I didn't have that top end. So we got to the race day. We got up, I think, around 4.15. And then it was a very humid day. It was 90s, very high humidity. So my top end was missing probably not only because of the fall, but... The weather conditions definitely... I mean, anyone who's from the southeast knows how how hot and humid it can get and how that really impacts, like you said, that, that top end, that next gear. And it's definitely the Olympic distance race is, is short enough that you need that gear. You need some sort of punch. Yeah. yeah. And so it, the water temperature when we got there was 87, not the air, but the water itself was 87 degrees, which is, it was crazy. Yeah. It's like a hot tub. So you know, your heart rate spikes right away when you go into the swim start. So I looked good at first, but then I looked very flat getting into the swim and my time reflected that I was seven minutes faster than last year. My goal was to be around 10 minutes faster. So again, just missing it a little bit there. And it's still a good improvement. I would say, I, I don't know about you, but I think that the biggest win from the weekend was probably that swim. There was no big win just getting through it. I think Piecing together the the race that I had without quitting on it was the yeah. one. And then well, you looked good in the water. I was able to have some pretty good spectating. Like I, I had I was able to watch him get in the water, pretty much go out to the first buoy. It was close enough. And so form wise from above water, I was actually pretty impressed. Even on the takeout, I was it was really it was good to see him in my opinion, come so far, because I don't know if I've really got to see you swim open water in a long time. Yeah, and it obviously wasn't wetsuit. So age group nationals will be wetsuit, and I think I'll have a little more after the swim in that. So it was a two-lap open water swim. There was no exit, so you just kept on going in a big square. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I got out of the water. I felt okay, just flat, and I, I knew it based on you know, my time. And then my goal on the bike was to be between 240 and 250 Watts. Definitely possible based on my recent training. And I, I was just missing that gear. And I was really like 210 to 230, but really averaged around 213 for the day. Which was a good bit lower than what you did at St. Anthony's, right? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that was probably the heat, but I, I think it was knee, the heat and the swim. It was a little of everything. Yeah. You did have the fastest, some one of the fastest transitions, though. <laughs> sure, yeah. I, I mean, mean, it's it's something. Yeah, my transitions were fine. And, you know, the bike, again, I think was six minutes faster, five to six minutes faster than last year. Which is all, I mean, a win, especially with given the conditions this year. Yep, and I, I have either a new road bike, so I have a Trek Madone, and I've been racing that versus an old like 2012 or 2014 felt TT bike. So I've recently had the felt fitted and I also bought a very cheap carbon set wheels on Amazon. They're straight from China. They're called super team, but they're deep and they're modeled after good carbon wheels. And I think between the TT bike fit, because 
So our fitters say 75% of your speed comes from body position and then 25% will come from the frame in terms of CDA and drag resistance. So I think my position on the bike was faster and I pushed a good amount more than I did in last year's race. So those were really the two things that led me to racing a faster time. And I do think the deeper wheels made a difference for me as well. Yeah, I was actually going to ask that because I don't, I honestly forgot that this was the first race that you raced the TT bike. Yeah. Right. So you've been just doing a road bike with the clip on um, aero bars mm-hmm. for most of the races. So this was the first time you you had the real TT setup. So do you think that, I mean, what were the benefits? I mean, you think your aerodynamics, but as well as how did your legs feel between um, going from the bike to the run between the two different bikes? I think it, it was important for me because the the road bike puts more pressure on your quads based on where the seat post is. And the TT bike sets you up for a better run. It uses more glute. So my quads didn't cramp as much, if at all. Which is usually that's one of the biggest historical problem, for yeah, for you. So that was really good to see going into nationals. And the other thing that the bike fitter shared with me out in Arizona is that I was a previous rower, so my quads are overdeveloped in relation to my glute meds. It's glute medius, right? That would be the term. Yeah, there's. I, I'm not sure which one they specifically were talking about, but okay. yeah. Well, I'm talking about glute Your meds. glutes, your glutes. No, glute med. It's okay. a specific part of it. So that's what keeps your knee from caving in when you press down. Okay, yeah. So I think that's your glute medius. Now, the, I've been working on my glute medius for stability and things like that, but I also took more of an active note to make sure that my knee wasn't caving in when pressing down on the pedal stroke and keeping it parallel and that prevents my femur from rotating in and he said that I was getting those quad cramps because of the rotation of my femur interesting so I also had an active focus in conjunction with the TT bike fit and my quads felt better going into the run I didn't feel good for the run (laughs) but but the not having the cramping is a a huge win especially in a really hot race where obviously you're losing a ton of electrolytes and sweat. So yeah. you've always assumed it was, you know, predominantly an electrolyte issue. Which I also fueled properly. Yeah. I, had, I mean, you've worked so hard to to get that right. I had a very high sodium mix and then I had a Martin for the bike. So two bottles for the Olympic distance. And then going into the run, I was just flat. I was 45 seconds per mile off of where I thought I could be. And again, I think that was a combination of my knee and just the absolute heat. Everybody was super slow. I mean, you know, everybody was off their their goal times talking to people after the race. So given the day, it was just all around flat, but it was a 15 minute PR. So I have to take the goods with the bads. And it was, again, just one of those races where I felt like it wasn't even close to my potential, but I got it done. I strung it together and it was experience. So Yeah, and I think it was ultimately a really great race to set you up going into nationals because it gives you another experience of open water swimming, another experience of racing. Like you even got the opportunity of kind of like working with people 
on the bike, as well as kind of some pace partners on the run. So I think just like giving you a little bit of experience, um, a fresh experience going into nationals is, is pretty beneficial. Yeah, it was better than not racing, but it was discouraging. And when you don't hit your goals for the next few days, sometimes you have to go through the motions. And I certainly felt that on Sunday after the race, you know, I raced on Saturday. I didn't feel like working out. Monday came around. I didn't feel like swimming. So, you know, when when you set goals, just like we talked about last time, if you aim really high and then fall short, it doesn't matter if you did pretty good. Like I got second in my age group. I podiumed for, for my age group, you know, against some competitive people. Um, but it wasn't what I set out to do. So because my goal was high and my result was low, I felt pretty discouraged. I feel back on the bandwagon after going through the motions, but it is important just to go through the motions sometimes when you're recovering from a race result like that. Yeah, I think you did a really good job of just kind of making sure you you showed up to the pool or got up and got on the bike or did your runs. And, you know, like you said, going through the motions just to kind of reach that point where, like you said, now you're you're motivated again. Yeah, so. when it's on the schedule, it's so easy to be like, well, it's here. I'm going to show up to the pool Monday morning. And I was super flat and super slow. But by Wednesday, I was hitting some of my best pool times again. Yeah. So it's just a matter of time. Yeah. And a few more weeks of another hard block before nationals. And it'll be here before we know it. Yeah. So let's shift gears to our next topic. We actually covered the dog piece. We covered the race recap. Yeah. and In terms of racing, you mentioned that if somebody has races coming up, Share them to oh, our yeah. story and we'll blast them out to the community. Tag Kaylee Slade on Instagram. Yeah, this was something, uh, both of the next topics. Are, I I think I have my best thoughts when I'm running. Like I, I can just really come up with really good ideas. And one of them was how much I loved your build up to this race, as well as everybody else that we met there and just kind of hearing about what they were doing, getting ready for the race. And it just kind of, made me feel motivated to get out and train. And I was thinking anyone who's uh, listening to the podcast, if you have a race coming up and you want to share a story, make sure to tag me because I would love to follow along uh, with your race as well as sharing. So other people can follow along because it's really motivating to see other people out there crushing it. And it just helps me, I don't know, get through racing and, and everything. So yeah, I just, would love to be able to keep up with other people's races and their journey. Yeah. Kaylee has built her Instagram to over a thousand triathlon specific followers in addition to her other athletic followers. So she has an awesome community thanks to TTL when she received that sponsorship. And I have a little secret cult community <laughs> on my Instagram. So if you follow me and message me triathlon or just say, hey, here for triathlon. He loves talking triathlon. I so. add everybody i follow everybody and i add them to my close friends list yeah and only my close friends get to see my actual stories and stuff going on but i have like daily either motivational or funny triathlon content yeah, going no, it's, it's fun today's so. tell tell them today's line oh man i don't i don't think i'll get it right because it's a quote right all right yeah i'll say the quote ready and you see who you think says it so the quote is, do or do not, there is no try. 
<laughs> you told it's like a Star Wars person, right? Star Trek, Obi-Wan, Star Wars. Star no, Wars. Yoda typically says it. Okay, it's a Yoda quote. But I put it on threads and I said, do or do not, there is no try. Do athletes. Oh. Because there is no try. They don't swim. So it's just do or do not. Ha ha. So that's that's my joke of the week. But his punny, his punny jokes. Yeah. But if you want more of that, follow me on Instagram. Yeah. You're going to get a lot of followers now. I'll have to go private. <laughs> Anyways, to wrap up, we we're going to talk some unique tips. Yeah, on... this is another fun, fun thought on a run. And it was some of the things that we have found to really help us in swim, bike, and run as people who started from nothing, amateurs, and then have like really built it pretty quickly. Yeah. So So. our secret weapons, not really, but things that maybe you might not think of right out of the gate. So do you want to go first with yours? Yeah, I guess we'll, we'll go in order of the sports. So we'll swim. I know we have probably said this before, but my number one tip is going to be, or it's a combination of getting yourself to the pool. Like that is so hard to do. So number one thing is if you have a swim that day, make sure you show up to the pool, whether you like actually do the whole workout or you just float back and forth. Like, honestly, I think just getting in the pool and as much as you can is like so, so, so important. And then my other one is for beginners, making sure you are doing workouts and it's not just drill work, like drill and techniques, like make sure you are getting in volume, getting in speed, even if the speed is slow, like whatever your fast 50 is, do fast 50s. So making sure you have those structured workouts, even if, you know, it's quote unquote slow. Um, And then reserving days to technique. So like for us, we have two days a week that is just 2K of pretty much what I would say is like just getting a feel for the water and doing a lot of drills and technique work. And then we do volume and speed work specific for our other days. So that's my long-winded answer. Yeah, and I think it's important to hit the yardage you set out to hit. Kaylee's good at hitting every yard to the dot. I've gotten better at it. Even if it's sloppy and bad, Yeah, I do it. If you aimed for a certain amount of yardage, don't get in the habit of failing. Get in the habit of succeeding. Just cut the volume a little on the onset. But I think it's better for your brain to check the box, even if it was a little slower than you wanted to, versus to teach your brain, oh, I wanted to do 4K, but I did 3,200 for the day. Yeah, no, that's actually, I like that one, that idea too of just, not quitting because when you quit, it is so easy to quit the next day. Yeah. And then to quit the next day. So, it, yeah, it's a terrible habit to get into. There's certain pros that we follow and we would never say them by name, but we watch them DNF one race and we're like, this it's is going to become a habit. It's so hard. And it, it does. It's if you give up on yourself once, it's so easy to do it again. I mean, it's yeah. just, and like, I even will just not look at my times. Like if I'm having a really bad day, like if we had to do like, I don't know, 10 200s, I just will not look at my time and just do the 10 200s and be like, all right, that was it. Yeah. So that's super fundamental. That's core. I don't think that's like a secret unique tip. 
No. So I'll go next. <laughs> I, I'm not. My <laughs> unique tip for you is some people don't think of this. Don't wear your running shoes to the gym to lift because any time you carry weights or push weight with them, it's compressing the foam and wearing out the support in your feet. And then pe- people who go to run in them, they wear down faster. They don't okay, last as long. So you're saying don't wear your running shoes that you do your runs in. So does this apply to retired running shoes? Option A, which is what I do, is to use your retired shoes for gym shoes. And does it matter, like, stack height, stability, is Option flat B, better? If you're serious about the gym and you really want to, like, prevent injury, wear a neutral shoe like a van or something like that, like something that completely flat with no uh, heel-to-toe drop, because that's going to be much more stable, especially if you're worried about your knees or something and you're, you're doing legs at the gym. So simple, but not everybody thinks of it. And yeah, I mean, it's so important not to wear your shoes that you actually run in. Yeah, because it'll I mean, you spend good money on your your nice supported shoes to protect your legs and you there's no point in wasting them with the gym. So, yeah, that's actually a good reminder to people. Yep. So do you have another for biking? Or um, for anything? I feel like biking is the hardest one for me. But you don't have to make one up on the spot. I can. I will keep thinking of that one. But I do have a, a unique one for running. Okay, let's hear it. And so I think that... I think that for easy runs, this is... complete. I don't know if this is true or not. But I think for easy runs, it's good to have a hilly course. Like, our development is so hilly. Like, you're either going up or down in our development. And I've learned that even if I'm learning the art of a slow pace right now. So I will go out at such a slow pace, but make sure it's hilly so that I'm actually getting a little bit of, I don't know, like that, like work up the hill, but I'm still going slow. And I don't know. It's I think it's building my... One, helping me like stay slow and have a slower pace and more recovery pace for my heart rate. And then two, I'm still getting strength benefit out of it. So, I mean, I I don't know. I don't know if it's like a. I appreciate it, too. I think it's good. I don't know that it's applicable for everybody. Yeah. And I'm not saying like this needs to be massive hills. Like I'm not doing something to think. about. Yeah, I'm not doing hill repeats. But if you have a flat option versus something that has some hills in it. I think like for short 20 to 30 minute runs, it, or even if you do shorter than that, it's perfect to add a little bit of hills in there. Yeah. And trails, another good alternative example when it's rolling. Yeah, that's true. It's going to keep you really have trails around here. So not good ones. We have ankle sprinting trails and that's not worth it. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. But, and on top of that one, this was, I guess, another running one I had. Skipping my turn. Yes. Because, because it goes with that, is that if you are doing hard stuff, things that require speed, and I think it's good to make sure you are getting stuff on flat. Like whether, I think perfect, you should go to a track. Like if you can find a local high school or, I mean, honestly, I think a lot of local high schools will let people on. It's like open to the public. 
And I think getting speed work done on a flat surface where you can actually hit fast paces is is also very beneficial. Yeah, we're against track all year round, but we have track season. And when we're in track season, hitting the paces on a track is critical to building speed, top end speed. Yeah, I mean, if you can't run, I'm just going to do a six, like just a six flat on a flat surface. Like, what's the point in like doing hills? I don't know. And we we like you said to clarify, it's okay if you can't run a six flat. She's very fast. (laughs) I was using a random. I know a random number. I don't want them to feel bad about that. (laughs) a seven flat an eight flat a nine flat doesn't matter like you can target your race pace more accurately on a track is the bottom line yeah or even clock working it or you know say you are someone who's running like in the tens and you're trying to get to that nine going and doing some like 400s at a nine pace you know it's a great way to to learn what that feels like yeah that's what i said you can target your race pace accurately on a track yeah by the hundred if you want to. So is it my turn? Yes, it is your turn. I won't take it now. Okay. My next tip is if you have a limiting limiting range of motion, first be aware of it. And then second of all, train it out of your system through light to moderate lifting. In cardiovascular and endurance training, your body will adapt to that movement. I hate to throw him under the bus because everybody does, but Lionel Sanders has a very interesting cadence when he runs. It looks lopsided. I mean, when we first saw him race, we thought he was injured. Which is what everybody says, so I'm sorry. Lionel, you'll never hear this, but I'm sorry because you're our hero. However... And stupid fast, don't forget that. As an age grouper... (laughs) We all have these imbalances. So one that I knew from rowing, my left side of my back is overdeveloped and my right side is underdeveloped. My right side of my abs are overdeveloped. My left side is underdeveloped. My lower abs are underdeveloped and my upper abs are overdeveloped. So there's all these imbalances and they can probably lead, especially in a technical sport like swimming, to imbalances in your stroke. So the way to out train these is to first acknowledge that, hey, here's where I'm really weak. And then B, use gym work and it does not have, your body will adapt to light to moderate weight. Like it doesn't have to be like, you know, squatting 300 pounds. You don't have to be. It's just stimulating those areas and getting blood to those areas to say, hey, let's equal out, let's grow versus when you pound it for a thousand repetitions your body turns that off and just learns to use and overcompensate in the weaker areas. Yeah. So iron out the imbalances in the gym and really just pay attention to balancing it because I've built, and I'm still working on it, but I've built like a much more cohesive and functioning body by by working on those imbalances slowly but surely from the ground up. Yeah, I mean, that's a complex, complex tip, but... I mean, so important, especially if you're just getting into triathlon. And I'm sure these are the kinds of things that start you start to notice pretty early on. And it's good to to nip it in the butt before it becomes a problem 
as you as you grow. So, so twenty words or less. Be aware of your imbalances. Train them with light to moderate strength training. Yeah. Done. And getting bands are great. Yeah. At home, we have so many bands. We have bands in every stuff. room. Yeah. We have them on the edge of like most bedposts in our house. So. Yep. Very easy way to kind of just get in. Shoulder. Some, yeah, we work our shoulders. We glutes, work glute needs. <laughs> yeah. So it's just all those little things that are happening behind the scenes. I, I don't think they're brought up enough. No, I mean, because they're not fun. They're boring. It's not fun to do. I don't know. It's like the things that you really just like, you think to yourself, oh, I need to spend this time swimming. I need to spend this time biking. I need to spend it running. But and kind of just like forget the little things, especially core, like for me particularly, and it's just something that's like such an important part to being successful in them. So, yeah. Do you have yeah. any final tips? I, wrap up I have been thinking this entire time for a bike one. I'm sorry that I, I just, in it's order, so simple. Like you just have to bike. <laughs> the bike is the three T's. It's time, time and time. And that's it. That's all that all that cycling is. Yeah. That's literally the only tip you can possibly and get have. a bike fit. Oh yeah. We've said that one before. Bike fit is super critical. And either, getting out yeah, there. Either get a bike fit or if you really can't afford it or you don't have access, just spend a lot of time on YouTube and, and dialing in your own fit. You're just gonna have to spend time. Yeah, and you you can do it. Yeah. You can do it and and figure out what's comfortable. And we said this before, too, like recording yourself, looking at how it looks compared to other people and figuring out what works best. So that's all we got this week. What do you have coming up? What two races? Yeah, I guess this weekend is a relatively easy weekend building into Oregon and then Maine the following weekend. So the first back to back. Yes, it's the first back to back cross It'll, country. Yeah, it's uh, uh, I think Portland to Portland. Yeah, that's what they say. It's Portland, Oregon, Portland, Maine. So it'll be a few time zones, um, lots of traveling, but a lot of fun. Yeah, and you have the vintage one of one age group to pro triathlon podcast shirt. Oh yeah, for for all the the people watching on the YouTube, YouTube I, watchers, Brian makes fun of me because I started designing. This is my quirky thing. I'm designing clothes based on my cat. I have a cartoon of her. I don't make fun of you. It's well, no, that's not the making fun of me part. The making fun of me part is I am designing these clothes, and then I decided to make one for fun, an age group to pro one. And as soon as I made it, I was like, I'm buying it. And so you're your biggest customer. Yes, that's it. That's what you, you say to me. I'm I'm my biggest customer. So doing good with this business, this whole triathlon bit. It's making us a ton. One day we'll see a profit. It's for so fun. Two year time horizon. That's that's our our goal. So we can do this full time in two years for Kaylee and and be set up after vet school yeah that's the goal we'll see till then chip away yeah well thanks for listening in and we will keep you guys updated on the upcoming races yes we will have a podcast next week 
Kaylee will be traveling for an entire week. So we'll have something for you. I don't know what. So you might yeah. have to check YouTube only for that gap week where I throw something together. But Yeah, maybe we'll try to finally get a YouTube out. So I'll try to get a YouTube out. You'll be racing. You'll try to get a YouTube out. You'll be doing the important thing. <laughs> and then we'll have some battle stories for you. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Sorry, I couldn't think of something clever to say then.